Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't know why I whispered. I don't know. Why are you Why are you whispering to us? Because you're in love with me, do you Secret think? Is that maybe why? Yeah. And you don't want my husband down, to hear, Sarah. but you think that maybe that this life you've built with your wife of 20 years... Hey, Jeff, I think is, your son needs you for a second. Yeah, I think you can do it. I'll send you my number and maybe I can come to New York. I'm not really happy here in England. I've been looking... I always, I, always, I always wanted a life in New York, but I met Jeff and he had some money, but he doesn't anymore. Help me! Stewie is on the podcast. Our guest later is actor Ariam Moyad. All right, we just watched episode five, Kill List. And uh, you like it just a little bit, don't you? <laughs> so what's bubbling, you know, uh, short-range top lines, meaning our brain dump, shall I start? Please do. Right at the top of the episode, Kendall shows up at Waystar Royco HQ. Mm. And as he walks in, we see a huge screen in reception with an in-memoriam photo of Logan. And that reminded me of when the Queen died. Do you remember pretty much straight away, every shop had not a screen, but an actual printed photo of the Queen in the window. And it makes me wonder, at what stage do you get your photo of a monarch ready for when they're going to die? <laughs> at what stage are you preparing your in-memoriam photo? Do you know, this is the second time you brought up the Queen's death in regard, like as a comparison to Logan's death. I wonder if you took the Queen's death a little bit harder than you think you did. I felt sudden destabilised for a couple of hours. R.I.P. Also, do you know I wasn't there? I was in Norway. Full circle moment. Isn't it? I just want to know if anyone watched episode five and took away anything from it other than... I have to buy some compression socks before the next time I fly. Maybe we should extend your crowdfunder for when we go away next week so you can have some compression socks. Because what, what we got from the show was that you need compression stockings if you're older. Now, what we were seeing is Frank and Carl very aware of what happened to Logan. And from now on, they're wearing compression socks when they fly. I wore compression stockings from about the age of 24 up until around the time I met you. Well, we know Logan didn't. Do we? Yeah, there was that line last week. About Kerry not wanting to fuck him in compression socks. Compression stockings. Right, even better. I forgot that detail. Now, very little Connor in this episode, but he does call from the funeral parlour uh, because Marsha is talking about putting Logan in a kilt, mm -hmm. like a Bay City roller. A British boy band from the 1970s, their big hit was Bye Bye Baby, Baby Bye 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 Baby Baby. Is there a Bay City Rollers reference in Love Actually? Yes, there is. That's how I've heard of them before. And then later, despite Roman asking him not to, Connor sends a photo of, of Logan's embalmed corpse. Mm -hmm. If that was you, would you keep it or delete it? Oh, interesting. Because I wouldn't want to receive it, but then I'd feel really icky if I just deleted it out of my phone. I can't yes. even delete a dead person's phone number. Yeah, I don't think I've ever deleted a dead person's phone number, but I don't know that many dead people because I grew up rich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you grew up working class, you know, like so many dead people. Okay. Matson, 
Alexander, I really can't with his last name. Skarsgård? I'm just going to go full American on this. Alexander Skarsgård. He is a Nepo baby. What's his daddy's name? I'm forgetting it. Stellan. Stellan, of course. Very good in Mamma Mia. Very good in so many things. But it's almost like he birthed the true king. And I feel that everything that is terrible about Nepo babies and everything it says about culture and entitlement and all this terrible, terrible shit and the misery and the privilege has been worth it if it is allowed Alexander Skarsgård Onto our screens in his role as Matson. He comes out, hood up. <laughs> you gasped. I gasped when he <laughs> when they brought him out in a goddamn hood. The most casual, the most bored, the biggest alpha I ever have seen. And I'm not like even a lady who's a real one for a man's body. <gasps> but when he pulls his t-shirt up and you just a bit of that belly. I think it was intended as a power play. It's very difficult for me to conceive of part of your body being on show as anything other than a a loss of power. I'm just always trying to cover this thing up. Oh, God. It is difficult for me to conceive that he and I are are of the same species, (laughs) that we're both just human males. It feels like what it must be like for a pug to look at a a Doberman (laughs) or an Alsatian or something. All right. Would you like to know the moment that I knew... Hugo was going on that kill list. Gone. It was when we saw his plate at the <laughs> breakfast buffet because he, he was violating one of the principles <laughs> that underpins Swedish mentality. Tell us. Largom. Go on. That everybody should take what they need, not more, not less. Have you been keeping that in mind in terms of birthday cake this week? <laughs> I'm not shaming you or anything, but you gave yourself a migraine because of sugar intake and had to absent yourself from your family on the weekend. (laughs) I do that all the time, but it's just because I don't like you guys. You do it because you're eating problems. (laughs) Me next. Enter Ebba. Wonderful addition. Her dancing was horrendous. But not as bad as me. Well, you refuse to engage on a dance floor. That's because of what you've done to my self-confidence. I haven't done anything to your self-confidence. You can thank your parents for that. (laughs) Um, I'm a wonderful dancer. I would trade all of that to be the woman that Matson fucks without his noise-canceling headphones. So do you think he keeps one AirPod in when he fucks her? No, I think I think he doesn't know himself around her. That's why he gets into the blood stuff, more on which later. What podcast do you think Matson is listening to on his noise-canceling headphones while he's fucking randos? What podcast would he listen to? I think he would have been into Joe Rogan at some point, but he's moved on from that now. Diary of a CEO? No. Nope. We listen to some self-help podcasts. Nope. Not because we need help, but because Jerry Seinfeld was a guest on it. Oh. I think Matt, some might be into that. It was Tim Ferriss show. No. Some, some guru. No. And what about podcasts from his native Sweden? One of the most popular ones there is called Sector. There is something quite disturbing about the lady staring out from the artwork. And there's uh, something called the Itty Bitty Titty Committee. What's that about, Itty Bitty Tits? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's about. Is it by women? I don't know. All I'll say is this. I breastfed for two years with no um, side effects. So would you like to submit that to the Itty Bitty Titty Committee? I just think you don't meet that many middle-aged women with small pert tits, and I'm just putting myself forward. All right. I want to reassure you that if we ever break up, you can be 
100% sure that I will never hook myself up to an IV and send you bricks of my own frozen blood. Now you have a phobia. Of needles. But you also, any kind of blood you have a very hard time with, including menstrual blood. And what's interesting is that it's so important to you to be viewed as the feminist that you are, that anytime I mention anything to do with my period, you get very grossed out. But in the way that you'd get grossed out if I had a cut on my finger. But you are so terrified of seeming like a man who's grossed out by periods that despite knowing you for 12 and a half years, years every time it happens you're like it, it, it's not because it's period it's because and i'm like yeah 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 i i get it i get it i get it um i was physically repulsed by shiv's outerwear in this episode i hated it and it made me feel ill it looked disgusting it didn't seem like shiv to me who is she in Norway? I hated it. It was gross. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Is it mountain wear? Outdoor wear? It was like outdoor wear, but done by like, who makes bags? Fendi? Fendi does make bag, but I'm thinking of someone else. Bottega something? Yeah, but their stuff is really cool. <laughs> um, And then similarly, Tom, in the same scene, is in this all black ensemble, like, these roll necks, all black, in his glaring white sneakers that Shiv then makes fun of him for before he abusively pulls on her ear. But did she deserve it? Women never deserve it. But maybe did Shiv on this one occasion? It was just an ear pull. Um, that outfit of his was disgusting, too. But it did make me feel that they are meant to be together forever. And when she says to him, should we get dinner this week? He better say yes. Because with those two outfits, who else will have them? And can I just say also to reassure you, your earlobes are not thick and chewy like barnacle meat. You aren't wiry. And you are broad. I'm sturdy Sarah. That rib cage of yours. My rib cage. If I am in a fitted sports brassiere, my tits come out less than my rib cage. <laughs> That's a crazy situation. I'm like a 40A. Did I ever tell you that actually, uh, you know, these places that you can go where they really size you for your boobies? Oh, yes, yeah. They, the woman was explaining to me that if I gather all of my like arm fat, you know, like that's right next to your armpit, that you gather all that meat into the bra cup as well, then I'm suddenly a B. It's quite the thing to be expected to add into your daily beauty regimen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't got a lot of time. Come on. <laughs> Well, that's a rattle through what we noticed. Did you notice anything that we've missed there? Any details from this week's episode? Oh, I did notice that um, Matson is very loyal to Scandinavian brands. Continue. His, his drinking glasses were Itala, which is Finnish. Uh-huh. She was wearing a Fjellraven jumper, uh -huh. which is Swedish. And he, uh, he was also wearing a Tiger of Sweden t-shirt at some point as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so what did, what did you notice? Anything else? About the Quad Squad. Have you ever tried to get a nickname going for your group of friends and it's never quite caught? I, in my uh, 20s, had a group of girlfriends. And I really felt that there was like a Spice Girl thing going on. And I was sporty, but no one else was into it. I think you would have been Ginger. No, I wasn't Ginger. There's oh, because another... of the 40A situation. Yes. We want your observations, queries, theories, please. You can email us at fuckoff at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up later, I know you already heard that clip of him at the top of the episode, but we are so excited about this week's guest. We're talking to Stewie himself, Arian Moyed. Wowzers. I slid into his DM. <laughs> Hold up. 
let's go through the episode. There is so much going on structurally. How they make it work as an episode is a marvel. So to talk about it, I thought we would base it on the Gojo Retreat, which, by the way, in real life is at the Uvet Landscape Hotel in Norway. I had a look online. The cheapest room I could find was 4,600 Norwegian kroner. It goes up to 7,900. But what does that mean in pounds? Cheapest room, 350. Most expensive, 600. So $430, $750 for US listeners. I mean... Scandinavia, egalitarian. That's within budget. I thought it was the most spectacular setting. It made me want to be by a gushing river, but I don't think I could ever go to Uvet Landscape Hotel. Why? Oh. Because the cable car. This is the thing. You're going to be having to deal with the cable car. Also, though, the the symbolism of Matson summoning them to the mountaintop like he is a god atop Mount Olympus. I was too distracted by those trousers he was wearing. What was that? I think I was too distracted by the overall ambiance and interior design to pay that much attention to his trouserage. I was looking at those charges and then when he took his penis out to all urinate. Right. All right, all right. That is a unit. So I thought we could structure the episode around activities at the retreat. So I think we'll have a mix and mingle. Mix and ming. We'll also have a section which is the sauna. Okay. And for our purposes, that will mean turning up the heat. Hello. Oh, yeah. We will have the dance. Like Ebba's terrible dancing. Which for us will be the negotiations. Okay. And then maybe we'll finish with the axe throwing, which was one of the activities going on in the background. But for us, it can be about who eventually ends up on the kill list. Have you ever thrown an axe? Not in anger. Mm-hmm. So let's begin with the mix and mingle then. Does anyone else watch these arrival scenes and there's some of their favourite things that happen? Like the brigade just arriving and watching them starting to seep into their surroundings. Oh, my God. And then the drivers who come out and stand next to the car. Oh, I just love watching that shit. Very much enjoyed Hugo finding out that his opposite number was an Olympic ski jumper. I metabolize fast because I'm dynamic. (laughs) Do you think Hugo thought that line was a zinger or do you think he regretted it immediately after it fell out of his mouth? I think the way that shame and regret manifest in someone like Hugo is too difficult for us to even begin to unpick. That's the sort of thing that 15 years later I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh God, remember when I tried to make a quip? That's not how he does it though. He goes, oh, that guy's an asshole. <laughs> and I just think everything about human defensiveness is in that. You embarrass yourself and 94% of people go fucking prick instead of, God, I'm an asshole. Yes. I'll just say off the back of that as well. Watching Hugo try and do that dance versus watching Carolina try and do that dance. She was, woo. Light on her feet with a leba. Yes. A whole new flavor was coming in when Abba walked in. So she's given us this sort of Scandi thing, but there was something about her that was really present, really able to connect, really say an honest thing. Which is what Matson's into, more on which later. It was so great when she made her quip about it's going in the book or you're paying me off. And then he said, you fucking love it. Because in that moment, Matson showed... He's just like a creepy male boss. That line that he says to Shiv when he meets her, am I allowed to hug you? That's something a skeezy guy would say. Mm. So he's a skeez. He's, oh, I'm just a little bit Swedish, whatever. But he's also just like a disgusting billionaire. How do you think Tom did at the mix and mingle? Better than you would have done. (laughs) (laughs) That was excruciating. He was just this... Out of his depth, garishly dressed. He was Bridget Random Fuck. Right. He was Bridget Random Fuck with the Swedes. The shoes are too bright. 
The black is not soft enough. He doesn't know how to do it. He makes himself a laughing stock instantly. And then when Greg slopes in, for a second you think, oh, has he done his homework? But the stuff he says is less than bleh. My greatest fear is that I'd have to like participate in a conversation like that. I do think, though, and it is rare that anybody says directly to you, and who are you? But if that ever happens to me, I am going to answer with, therein lies a tale. <laughs> Give your middle name, Ori, Greg Ori Brown. <laughs> I noticed you were really tickled by Kendall and Roman comparing their cabins. And they're just like acting like they're in like a port because it's not grotesquely enormous. And also wondering if the size of the cabin is in some way an insult. Of course, like whether or not their status has been questioned. I also, what I thought was interesting is that as we, the viewer, comes into the room, the first thing we see is a shot of the toilet. And it made me think of when we went out to that one dinner and we had to sit at a table where you were looking into a toilet and you had a conniption and then our dinner was not nice. What happened is we ended up at a table in the basement of a very full restaurant. And the view from where I was sitting was directly into the toilet. And when I say that, what I mean by that is I could see an open toilet bowl. Mm-hmm. And it's my feeling that a restaurant shouldn't really have a seat where you eat and stare at a toilet at the same time. Well, the, the waiter really enjoyed being told that by you. <laughs> Let's move on to the sauna. Now, I don't mean literally the sauna scene in the episode, even though that was just wonderful. (laughs) The director of this episode, Andre Parekh, he knew what we all wanted when he gave us that shot of Carl and Frank in them robes. Oh. We should go as Carl and Frank for Halloween in those dressing gowns. I know, I know. Have you ever saunat with colleagues? The thing it reminded me of the most is some years ago, I went to a hotel in Austria and inadvertently stumbled into a whole area of the grounds reserved exclusively for nudists. Oh. As previously mentioned, I'm someone who likes to keep his body covered up. But let me tell you something. If you do suffer from similar self-esteem issues to do with your appearance, there is nothing better than being amongst many, many old, naked, overweight Germans and Austrians. You get to the nudist area and you just immediately are like, sails out, nails out. You just go, (laughs) you go full nudie. Yes. You were with your fucking whore ex-girlfriend, weren't you? (laughs) So the two of you together, you're like, we're not respecting the rules, full nudie. Exactly. When in Vienna, do as the Viennese So you walk, like, is it like you walk into a room and you're suddenly like, oh no, clothes allowed. Let's just, and like right there you strip Felt, felt pressured, felt the pressure. And you strip publicly. I mean, I don't just drop my clothes on the spot. You went, went into the men's and she went into the women's and you both stripped down. I think so, yeah. And you come back. So Yes. How were you feeling about wandering around with a bunch of naked old people? A lot better than I would have been if it had been a bunch of naked young people. Uh-huh. Are you carrying a towel of any kind? Do you need like a wristband on to show that you're allowed into different areas? I think there is a wristband, yeah. I'm naked apart from the wristband. That really messes with the line. (laughs) So I'm wandering around this area and I see a sauna. I enjoy a sauna. I go in, but it is extremely busy in there, like the one we saw in the episode. And the, the only free space is on the lowest bench. It's cold at the low. At the level of the coals. Uh huh. So after a couple of minutes, <laughs> some guy 
decides he's going to do that finish thing of getting the heat circulating oh in the sauna where you get a towel and then start cracking it and swinging it round to circulate the air. Oh, my God. And he is swinging this towel around above his head like a slingshot. How much are his balls and penis moving around? Well, this is the, this is the thing. His scrotum <laughs> is directly at my eye level. <laughs> so I get a little show. What, what did you think looking... At a man's scrotum that close up. I think I was amazed at the size of its orbit. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. So it must have been some big old balls. But you've got big balls. Thank you. Anyway, so aside from the literal sauna, though, let's get on to the figurative sauna of Matson turning up the heat. Mm-hmm. in the negotiations. He so quickly owns the space by being weird. He'll do something and then they'll try and do it and then he'll make fun of them. But, but okay, stop. Let's just do what we're here to do. You know, it was so manipulative. Bringing up finding his dead father. See, this was a fascinating thing to me. We get all this Lucas backstory in this episode. So we find out that he found his father's dead body in a BMW. We find out that he's got some real women stuff. Your whistle gets wet. And you're like, whoa, what is that world? Whether or not we'll get to see much more of it, I do not know. Because we've got five episodes left, and I don't know whether or not we're going to spend a lot of time with Matson. No sorries for Lucas. No sorries for Lucas. Incredible. Why do you think he wants ATN? Just to fuck with them? Just to make the deal interesting? Yeah, I, I think so. Just to make life interesting. We know that he's this bored, nihilistic billionaire. Nothing brings him any pleasure, but he he does like chaos. I, th- I think he's enjoying watching them as he besmirches Logan. Dispassionately. Mm-hmm. I think it's like someone figuring out, oh, they get an electric shock if I press this button. And then... Oh, just you doing think it for the pleasure dark? of it. Maybe. Interesting. Because I kind of felt Lucas had a little point. Like, if someone was being really insensitive about my father's death, but then went, yeah, just heads up, my dad's already been dead and this is how it went for me. I then would be like, oh, okay. So I felt he had more of a leg to stand on with how insensitive he was about the death. Because our dads are both very much still with us. We, we can't quite relate in the same way. I don't know if your dad is very much still with <laughs> us. So then afterwards in the forest, Kendall says to Roman, what, what if we tank the deal? In the forest. Which we know has been an idea in Kendall's head since he went out the karaoke bar to take that call from Matson. Right. This is what he has been building towards. Because he doesn't want to be a weekend warrior. Because running Waystar Royco, running the thing that his dad built, is the thing that he wants. Um, Something I want to ask about is at that moment of Kendall suggesting this to Roman, saying it'd be a 500-foot reputation drop, there is a music cue. It's like a sinister string. We've heard it before. I would like to know when. What does it signify? Oh, so you know that you've heard it before, but you don't know where you've heard it. I've definitely heard it in this show. Um, and I'd like to know when it's been deployed in the past. Does it mean something? Huh. So I'm, I'm just wondering, what does that motif mean? Because obviously that happens in films and television. My favourite one of those is the film Love Actually. <laughs> it's a film that we watch, I would say, in an ironic way once a year. Yes, it's part of our sort of Christmas repertoire. But there's a little music cue in that. I think it's on an oboe. It kind of goes... Doo, doo, doo. 
And my theory is that every time you hear that piece of music in that film, somebody is getting an erection. Yeah, and it holds up. We're all needing so much as we start to like pre-grieve for the end of succession. Mm. Maybe watch Love Actually and look out for that piece of music. Do it again. And you just check because it means someone's getting a boner. Next, we move on to the dance. There's the literal dance. And then there's the figurative one, exemplified in Kendall saying to Roman, Pinky can't dance. Did you not feel that then part of what we saw in this episode was was Shiv actually dancing pretty well with Matson? And we definitely think that whole interaction was an honest interaction, not any kind of move by Matson. That is a very interesting question. It seems to me that by telling her about the blood stuff, he has made himself authentically vulnerable. There's this like flirt going on. Does Matson just want to fuck her? Matson can fuck anybody to some extent. Mm -hmm. I I just think so many people, myself included, have this idea that somebody else has the answers and they will find them eventually. You know what I thought was so interesting is the way that he starts to broach this secret he has about sending his half a pint of frozen blood. It's half a litre. Everyone was watching this episode going, wait, how much is half a litre? How much is half a (laughs) litre? Nearly an armful. Um... The way that he sort of starts to put his toe in the water, he he says, you know, I don't have very good boundaries. And then he goes, people are judging me. So it's not about him that he's sending fucking half a pint of blood to a woman because she made him feel rejected and he can't handle rejection. It's people are judging me. I'm not a weirdo. People are always so judgmental when you send them half a liter of blood. Like, has Matson been to therapy? Oh, I think Matson's been to therapy. He's been on retreat, all kinds of self-help, introspection. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's done, like, ayahuasca. I, I don't think he's stuck with a certain type of analytical therapy for a long time. I think he's tried everything. He's tried primal scream therapy. He's tried regression. He's tried... EMDR. I think he's tried everything in his search for answers. What is he trying to answer? The, his pain? His daddy pain? Because of his dead daddy? His he body th- he there's a hole see? in his soul. There's we know a that. a hole in your soul. Yeah. Dear Jesse. Hey, buddy. Are you into ABBA? Have you been to ABBA Voyage? <laughs> if you, I bet, dear Jesse, listen, I think I'm getting to know you a little bit. I think you have been to ABBA Voyage. I feel my body is telling me that you've been to ABBA Voyage. I think you went with your wife. And your kids, I don't know under what circumstance. And did anyone come up to you and be like, big fan, I love you. Are you curious to know the environments Jesse does versus doesn't get recognized in? Um, I think actually that what was on display in my genius dear Jesse just then was I was asking him two things. Generally about the kind of music he's into. And like if he likes certain expressions of joy. Because Abba Voyage is for true hearts. So is his heart true in that way? <laughs> Something that we found ourselves rewinding and rewinding and trying to spot was whether Shiv is actually drinking, because we know she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. You see her take a little sip. She, she's certainly not chugging anything. And then when Matson offers her some cocaine? of his some, some of his cocaine, I think we that's what we have in those things. little things. Do you think we feel sound very nerdy when we're like, co-cocaine? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's Molly. It could be Molly. Could it be Meow Meow? Is that what they call it now? Meow meow? No, I think it's what the tabloids called it very briefly in about 2005. <laughs> meow meow? Yeah. I really cannot. I don't think we see her do 
cocaine, but we see her drinking. But I, I think like a, a, a women can sip alcohol in a pregnancy with no problem. But it's what's it showing? It's showing the ambiguity of her feelings about her pregnancy, right? Oh, I thought Shiv did what all people should do who want dirt on others, which I live my life <laughs> wanting to collect dirt on other people. And I have learned that the best way that you can collect dirt on others is by making sure people feel that you're a safe space. No judgment. But what are you doing with the information that you collect? I just love to know this shit about people. They're like my little treasures. A gorgeous jewel-encrusted box next to my bed. And when I go to sleep at night, I like to look in my little box and just see all my gems. But my gems are just dark secrets about other people. And what does that time with Matson do to Shiv's confidence with respect to how we see her behave with Tom? She, baby, she's back. This is the Shiv we know. Tom, would you describe it as a flick? What was that? Well, it was, to me, it was better than the underline in the previous episode. It was this incredibly ambiguous, but true, like, it, he was being sort of violent with her. But in this way that was just on the right side of sort of being acceptable, the way she was kicking at him and coming at him is getting like the way you'd shoo a fly away. But I think it did actually hurt. The thing it felt most similar to was him taking the meat off Logan's plate. Uh Uh-huh. I think what we see happen is what we've seen so many times that whenever Shiv feels that he's got any power, then she has to rebalance it immediately. Back at that scene where she's like kicking on his shoes and stuff, she's really going for what his soft spot is. In other words, whenever he is made to feel like he doesn't belong, like he's some rube, Mm -hmm. that's a big trigger for him. By Shiv. Yes. That's when he breaks. Yes. And so he he sort of did this bizarre physical thing that was just on the okay line of like physical violence. And then we're not supposed to know whether or not he'll take that dinner offer from her. And the other dance happened on the mountaintop. Here's what I'm curious about. Like, as a straight man, does his penis occur to you when you know that he's urinating? It does not. It reminded me of... I used to have this uh, house in Sweden and my next door neighbour was an older gentleman called Leonard. There was this one day when he wanted to show me, he'd cut a tree down to give him a better sea view. So we went on top of a rock to look at this vista. And as we're (laughs) chatting and I'm taking it in, I hear what is unmistakably the sound of pissing. (laughs) And and Leonard has taken his penis out and is urinating whilst admiring the view. And I don't think it was a power play on Lennart's. No, I'm sure it wasn't. It part. was just um is that a sweet is it cultural? Is it I like I don't know. Well what's going on with Matson then? Total confidence. Total I don't yes. give a shit. Fuck you. Yes. I thought it was the only time we've seen Matson a bit angry. Because he didn't have the power in that moment. Because once they don't want the deal, is there much that he can do? There was like an FCC comment or something like that. Well this this is the thing. He knows that they have a legal responsibility. They have a legal to their shareholders. So he's he's ended up paying a vastly inflated price. But even by going directly to Frank, yeah. that's simultaneously a fuck you to Kendall and Roman. But it's also making sure that that number, that information is out there. So they're bound by it now. Is Roman fucked? I think legally, probably, yes. But these Roys do what they want. A thing that I thought was interesting in this episode was like, it's about abuse cycles. Matson was like, your dad was a prick, and da, 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 da. And then it's like, you know what? No, fuck you. My dad wasn't a fucking prick. And it's like, well, Roman, 
he was a prick. And it's back to this thing where the guy who was beaten is the the one who cannot manage the bad words said about his daddy. It wasn't a good moment for the graduates of the Hanna-Barbera Business School. But how bad was it? Because Kendall, I thought another impressive Kendall moment was like he really kept his cool through it. But in terms of outcome, they screwed it. Their attempts to tank the deal, Matson sees straight through those. So that, that, that shows that, again, he's up to these sort of antics, but he's not performing well. Yeah, it's amateur hour it's from Matt Sun's ama- point of view. Okay, let's finish going through the episode with uh, a spot of light axe throwing. And what we mean here is who's being axed, who's on the kill list. Did you notice that the people not on the kill list were the people that Shiv had advocated for to Matson? I did notice that, but then also Tom was also not on the kill list. Why wasn't Tom on that list? That also felt like it was for Shiv in some way. Any surprises for you? I was confused as to whether or not Carl was performing being happy. Oh, no. I think Carl certainly last week, we we know that all he wants is his money out so yeah. that for this Greek island that he's half in on with his brother-in-law. And does Frank give a shit? Well, no. it's really interesting, isn't it? There's, there's this point in the episode where Matson says to Kendall, I'm just trying to make you rich. Already rich. Already rich. And I guess the question for everybody is how they are personally affected. So I think the uh, the village elders, the greys, the Grays. They, they are all getting an amount of money and at a time of their life where they would never have to worry again. Right. And their careers are set in stone. Yes. Whereas the more junior executives, maybe it would be permanently life-changing, but they'd still need to do something. There's still a reputational cost. And I think that applies to Tom. I right. Think, yeah. But he's going to get to fire Sid Peach, who, don't forget, I'm going to be dressing up as for Halloween. <laughs> I thought we were going as Frank and Carl in those dressing gowns. Correct. And I think I should actually be Frank and wear like a bald wig. I just I think you have more Carl vibes than Frank, but that might be because of the eating stuff. We both want to be Frank. I think I've got more of a Frankish way about me. No one here has a Frankish way about them. But you're more bombastic like Carl. Carl isn't bombastic. But he's the more bombastic out of the two. The point... Frank, I, Frank is the gentler presence. I'm the gentler presence. You're not like Frank. Are you, are you saying that the Guardian, I think it was the Guardian review of this podcast, which described me as the gentler and presence, gentler, is, 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 is wrong? And her gentler husband. God, it's great to be a woman these days. <laughs> what do you think Matson is going to do with that photograph of Kendall and Roman? Is he going to masturbate to it? Is he going to print it out and piss on it? I mean, what? You what? don't think he's going to tweet it? I don't know. I do wonder if we're ever going to see Matson again, especially if. The series keeps progressing day by day. But, God, it was wonderful while it lasted. Those are our thoughts on the episode. We'll be hearing yours in Friday Sprinkles, providing you send them to us. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, our guest for this episode. We are so excited. An actual cast member. It's the first time it's ever happened to us. Stewie himself, Arian Moyed, coming up next. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Highland Park girl. Highland Park. Glenview boy a year apart in age. Wow. Our circles didn't cross. Because adjacent suburbs these are, Adjacent. Right? Here in the UK, our, our knowledge of that world of the American suburbs is largely informed by John Hughes films. Mm. I want you to look at this face and think about, oh. did you ever see it by the lake or at Makeout Point? Were you at Makeout Point <laughs> in the summer of 97? Um, I wasn't invited to make out point. No. To be honest with you, Sarah, I wasn't either. Did you ever go to Northbrook Court? Are you kidding me? That's where I got my license. There was also another place called like the Deerfield... Um, Deerbrook Mall, which you know is where I would have gone to see, for example, Father of the Bride, starring Kieran Culkin. And a stream. And then Cameron's house, Alan Ruck. It's all right there. Then you're then also from there. It's feeling like very North Shore. You're not the North Shore. We're not the North Shore. I'm the princess. Aryan is like inland a little bit. (laughs) And I feel comfortable talking about that because of the way that your career has gone in comparison to mine. I went to NYU... My parents spent a lot of money on my theater degree, and I have never worked professionally. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sometimes you want to leave it on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you're hitting it. Ariane, how soon was it apparent to you that Succession was different to other shows? Was it something that was obvious from the script that you had to audition from? Um, I auditioned for the pilot, and even reading that script, I thought that it was very daring. And they came back and they said, they want you to audition for another part. And so in a weird way, reading the scripts again and reading the Stewie, especially that donut scene on the side, I felt it was really unique. It's like talking about capitalism through a donut and he's eating the donut. So I found it very honest. And because of Jesse's writing and the team's writing, there's a lot of stuff in it that gives you an idea to be like, oh, you can kind of do whatever version of it you want. And then I got cast. I was just telling the story last night. I was just, I got cast at midnight and the next day I was on set. In the in the park. Wow. Yeah, I cast at midnight. Uh, I said, "But do you have my measurements?" They're like, "We have something that we can get." I said, "He's a billionaire. It's all fitted. It's all got to be fitted. <laughs> it's just got to be fitted." Because I'm so interested in that. Like this whole other layer to the show that has people like us obsessing about it is is a lot to do with the the craft of the people working on the show and the attention to detail. Tell us about that with regards to Stewie. Then, when you put those clothes on, are those clothes from stores? Are they bespoke? What does it feel like? Yeah, they're they're a little bit of everything. Most of them are bespoke. Some of them are you know, just high end stuff. And basically, for Stewie, it's because he is such an outsider. And he's purposefully almost saying fuck you with his clothes in a way. Like, you know, at the wake, he's wearing like this aubergine. (laughs) He's like, I can do what I want. And to be real, the biggest thing that I thought was that he shouldn't wear socks. I just was adamant about that. 
that's the type of guy he is. He doesn't know where to start. So how, how do those conversations happen? Is it you and a, a writer, a producer and the costume person? Do you have a meeting a week before filming? Or do they have a rail that you can go to? What, what does that look like? Succession is its own beast. You, you know, sometimes we get this script so late that it's like a clusterfuck. Uh, what happens is that you come in and they have a bunch of different clothes that they have basically purchased in like two or three different sizes of each one. And they probably then come in and we just try everything on and see what fits and what comes together and not. And then we really start trying to build this character. I mean, Stewie, so much of it is, is the shoes and the clothes. Michelle, our, our, our costume designer, she is doing such incredible work. But she also has a real taste of what is on the cutting edge of like what they're wearing next year. I would never pick a huge white turtleneck. <laughs> But they brought that in. I said, I'll wear it. And they put the suede on. I said, holy shit, this will work. <laughs> Does Stewie have anything in his pockets? All he has is his phone and maybe a pen. Does he have a smell? Yeah, it must be lavender, I guess. It must be good. <laughs> I feel he smells really nice. Yeah. I hope I can say I that to you. Nice. But what, what's <laughs> interesting about good. all this is how much of a difference does it make as an actor? Um, I think the watch situation is weird. I had this watch on. It was like $75,000. And I was like, what? Why? I don't want this. So, I don't even want the. This is a true story. I was shooting Succession while doing rehearsals for a Doll's House, which I'm doing on Broadway right now. We're doing both at the same time. And one day I leave Succession to come to a Doll's House and I forgot to get back the watch. And then I'm like, we're getting texts being like, we need the watch. I said, I'm about to do the designer run. I will get this to you after. And in the middle of the designer run, all of a sudden a couple of stage managers comes up to me. And I was like, what is happening here? And they like tap me on the show and they're like, uh, the succession people are outside. They want their watch. <laughs> I said, right now. So like, I was like, I'm in the middle of the fucking thing. I was like, here, give him the watch. I don't need that at all. They, they were I thinking, they were thinking, Arian is taking that watch. He's going to switch it for a forgery and it's going yeah. to eBay. Get his money and I run. Was. <laughs> I was. But I think that's what's kind of. The, the 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 piece of art that I think is important that kind of correlates a little bit what you're saying with regards to succession is is that we're all kind of going after some deep truths, uh huh, emotional truths, interpersonal truth, global truth, truths about society, truths about power, and the the reason why I think the show is so successful is because we see all that and we're like that's probably what this looks like. Right in that first season, we, we used to get all the time. Well, I don't want to be that rich. And you're like, what's well, true? Yeah, no one needs yeah. to be that rich. I wouldn't mind. I'd take it. I mean, I'd take it too, I guess. We're really interested in these character Bibles, um, even minor characters, people who maybe have a scene and maybe even a scene that was cut. They know their backstory going back 30 or 40 years. How much of that did you have for Stewie? N not a ton, to be honest with you. I've known Jeremy since I was 19. How? He was at the Steppenwolf Summer Theater Program in Chicago. So the first thing is, I had a big piece of God happen there because I've known Jeremy just like Stewie has known Kendall for a long time. And so that that was a real leg up to that relationship. And that was an active friendship. It wasn't you met him once at 19 and then didn't speak to him again no, until the I first mean, day of succession. He's very, he was very, we were both very busy. He lives in Brooklyn and all that. But yeah, we hung out throughout the years and seen each other at parties, seen each other show. Like, it's a community. So, so with that existing relationship with Jeremy, how much yeah. preparation did are the two of you putting in scene together? Because famously, he is immersing himself in this role. I forgot that he was method. I knew that throughout the years that people would say, like, oh, he's really method, but I just forgot that. 
And then on the first day of set of the donut scene, I was like, hey. And I was like, oh, he's really like focusing in. I was like, okay, cool. And then they came up and they said, hey, we want to do this whole thing as a one shot. So it was from inside to outside. In the episode, it actually got broken up. But we all shot it as a one shot. We shot it as from the donut scene, coming outside, opening up the umbrellas and doing that scene outside with the umbrellas. And they said they want to do it a one shot. And then I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, oh, just enough why we shoot on film. I said, wow, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so now all of a sudden I'm getting nervous. Because will you, will you <laughs> just explain to me why that fills you with anxiety or why that starts to feel different because to you? Because the process of reloading film and the process of that is a, is a lot more precious. A, it's very expensive. And B, you can't all of a sudden be like, hey, let me just stop this for a second. Can you edit this out? You have to just do it. And now they're saying they want to do a one shot. So that must have been like a five page scene now. So it's like, oh, okay. So we're going to do a five minute scene that's inside and outside. Oh, by the way, it's raining outside. Okay. Yeah. So we need umbrellas. All right. So we need umbrellas. And then Jeremy is method. So he doesn't really want to rehearse. I was like, okay. (laughs) What? And then they're like, and action. And so you do that entire thing. And so, like, I've already decided that I wanted to be him to be cool and collective and mm. easy. You mm. know what I mean? I was really... Also, Jeremy is really serious about the work. And he's in the corner preparing. And I can't be on the same energy as that. Why can't you? Why can't you be? Because that's just not your vibe? No, just because if he's doing that in the scene, if there's going to be some sort of angst to that scene, it's easier for me to Harold Ramis him underneath. You know what I mean? Like to be the straight man under right. Harold Ramis as in straight man. Right. He made right. him. He yeah. made him into a verb. Thank you very much. Because this is why I don't. Thank you know, you sometimes don't understand this about because I'm I'm not in that world. But yeah, you you can have one actor who's so immersed into a character, and then at the other end of the spectrum have this Brian Cox ethos, which I think there's a bit of talk show bluster in this, which is the kind of remember your lines and don't bump into the scenery. But that you you can't have a musician playing jazz and uh, a musician playing hard rock on stage at the same time and have it cohese. Yeah. And yet in, in acting, you kind of can. You can't, It's hard. What's it's hard, hard about it? it need, well, you need a leader. You need something at the top to hold us down. And is that the director or is it Jesse? No, in this scenario, it's Jesse because our, our leader is this Bible that is called the script. Like we would every day, you open up the script and you're like, what? How amazing is this? I was curious as well, when you were talking a little bit earlier about um, the sort of clusterfuck created when you're you're getting these very last minute changes to the script. And I've heard writers talk about that, be like, oh, we we screw everyone a little bit. But, you know, is it is it very atypical how late in the day you are being handed your lines? Succession is a is a is a is a whole nother level of that. Okay, I mean, it is pretty atypical. We flew to Croatia. All crew members, actors, and there wasn't a script. There was like a loose script, but there wasn't an official script. I know yeah. this is like just the grungiest, dumbest question of all time. Yeah, I understand. I'm not allowed to ask an actor how they mem- how they memorize all those lines. Yeah, but, yeah. but is it for someone at your level and the, the levels of everyone on that show to go? motherfucker um you're supposed you want this for me in in what an hour and do you does that yeah. stress you out or are you kind of like no i'm a yes. theater kid i know how to do this no 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 no, no. opposite theater kids rehearse yeah yeah, no yeah, rehearse. yeah no i find it really stress inducing and i find the anxiety level of my and also jesse doesn't give me like the 
pusillanimous fools go like he's like throwing like some shit at me and it's like jeez bro okay um, and is it one of those shows you but, can do what you want with the words but that every syllable on the page has to come out your mouth yes and no i mean again here's another atypical thing about the show on a regular tv show you do six pages maybe six and a half on our show we can average 12 13 14 15 pages regularly a day because we shoot it all at the same time. We're doing all 14 pages at one go, like a little one act. So so you're memorized for your section of that one act, which is, let's say, two pages. I'm bullshitting, but two pages. And so you're memorized for all that. But in that, in when they say action, and the shit hits the fan, and your mind goes blank, you have to keep going because there's too many people for you to be like, hey, guys, can we cut? So you have to then be like, all right, here we go. Just say words. Just say words. <laughs> and so, like, the imp- and then Sarah, improv comes on. Uh-huh. And that's allowed. Well, allowed or not allowed. You're going to do, okay. <laughs> You've got to so do we, something. We have to move. The, the engine has started. Oh, my the, God. Because the camera is going to finish our two-page scene. It's going to all of a sudden zoom in on their four-page scene. And then it's going to zoom in on this. Two. You know, like, the, the machine is up and running. You're just trying to get on the next one. Mark Mylod, our, 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 like, main director, says something. When, we do, when he does these big, huge, like 13, 10 page things, he says, we're just going to do it right now and then we'll get it all wrong and then we'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And that's it's also very improv in a way. Can I move on to some of my wife's stuff? Yeah, please. Chrissy is her name. Chrissy, yeah. When you found out about Logan's death, uh-huh. did you tell Chrissy? And don't lie. Don't be like, oh, I'll get fucked if no. I say You, you no, no, truly no. didn't tell She doesn't want to know. Why doesn't she, she? wants to be surprised. Mm-hmm, I get uh, it. She wants to be surprised. She's like, you know what? This ruins shit for me. Don't tell me anything. Honestly, I don't know why we haven't gotten this compliment as a cast and crew, but how we kept that fucking secret from, I guess, July until now is like impressive. It's unbelievable <laughs> when you think of the amount of mm-hmm. people involved. Oh my God. But the reality is we, we got up to a Zoom, all the principal actors, there was like 20 of us. And he just basically told us what's going to happen in the season. And and that Logan is going to, uh, and it's going to happen in the third episode. Brian had just found out prior. And then we were all just pretty much shocked. And then he gave a whole speech of like, is this the last season? And I, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. And then we just kind of all hoped that it would be. But we didn't find out until late February. Did you say you hoped that it would be? We hoped that it would continue on, is yeah. what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I really trust jesse and i think if he's like saying we're gonna have four and it's gonna be four home runs yeah then like you kind of gotta do four home runs instead of like you know sometimes what happens is they they have four but they're like no we'll do a fifth the, the, the fourth season doesn't turn out great so then the fifth season doesn't turn out great so they're like fine we'll do a six and then it's like ah. the wheels have come off the bus there and in this scenario you know listen we love coming to work and doing succession we love the people we love the crew we love um everybody you know and so that's going to be the hardest part i think oh we're just not going to have those opportunities again can i ask you something technical about the writing that i I struggle to understand yeah sometimes i don't understand that brian cox isn't logan roy you you rarely see characters so fully inhabited and yet they're turns of phrase and their choice of words for insults is far beyond what any actual human being would be able to come up with, with on the spot yeah, in yeah. real life. How did that? How can you marry those two things? How can something feel so naturalistic and so beautifully written at the same time? It's not easy. Um, you know, the um, 
that scene in Croatia where it's like, you're going to cut my dick off with a thong and I'm going to put it up on your, you know, all that like <laughs> verbal. I went to Jesse, he was like, I don't think I can do, I don't think I can say this realistically. I don't think there's any chance in hell that this is going to sound realistic, to, you know? And, and he's like, just do it. And I did it. And it, and it I think it's just, you have to believe in it. It's not easy. You know what I mean? It's really not easy. Because in situations like that, when Jesse has written it, I want to honor this. I want to make sure that I can make sure that, you know, the, you know, the belligerent zucchini works. So it's, it's hard, but you just keep pushing through. And, and, and it's a little bit of Shakespeare in that way, because when I'm performing Shakespeare, I'm not thinking, oh, I sound like Shakespeare. I'm trying to make my thoughts coherent with Shakespearean language. So there is a little bit of that as well, I think. When you guys were filming the episode with Shiv's wedding, uh -huh. and you and Kendall, Stewie and Kendall, they go into that pub. Yeah. I think that scene was really something for the British viewers because it was... Um, Grimy and terrible service. Yeah, it was really capturing the Britain that I know. Um, were, they, were you forced to eat any disgusting British foodstuffs while you were over here? Oh, yes. Maramite? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? Oh, uh, 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 uh. the hell is that? Do you know, I was... So it's a very yeah. good source of vitamin B12, Arian. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Have a pill, bro. Have a pill. I was debating... Have a gummy. I was debating the value of that question, and you really you really knocked that out of the park with the ideal answer. Can I say one thing about that pub scene Please. that I just remembered? We, again, shooting in this kind of, like, crazy-ass pub, and we're walking in, and as we're walking in, we have a long walk to get us to the table, and there was, so it was uh, improvising. And Jeremy, I think, was like, oh, I think Roman and I used to come here as kids. Like, we used to sneak out and come here and told me this whole story about, like, how he would sneak in and have some drinks or pints or whatever. And he's going on and on and on. <laughs> I said, cool story. <laughs> <laughs> cool then, story. <laughs> and we sit down and do the scene. And then I was like, wow, I should come up with something better to say and do it again. And he says the whole thing again. And I said... Yeah, man, cool story. <laughs> and, and that was it. And I thought I was sure that was going to make it, but you know. Do you think that's part of so their, much is left? Is that part of their thing? Because it is. A, I, I said on the podcast last week. In some ways, it's sad to me that Kendall and, and Stewie's friendship is the yeah. best possible friendship that someone like Kendall can hope for. But is there something beautiful about the friendship? That moment you had this week suggests there is. I think so. I think you'd have to imagine that they went to high school together in a really rich, 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 rich school with a lot of like kids of giants, himself being one. And I can imagine them figuring out like we should fucking run the he says it. We had the whole world in our hands and you fucking walked. And I think they talked about that, which is not that dissimilar to how we talked when we were 19 at Steppenwolf. Like we want to do this. And so I can really easily imagine that that being the thing the other thing about stewie that no one really outside of maybe frank in kendall's life is everyone lies to his ass right everyone lies to him and he lies to everyone and so to have someone be like no dude and he said it. he goes i'm sorry about the board vote but you know i had to follow the money you know that that is a clear barrage you know what you're gonna get you know that if it's a little bit more chance that 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 i will win i'll just go with that and that is succession. That is, 
I think a big comment of what Jesse is trying to say is that there is no end to how yeah. much power and, you know, oh yeah, fine, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. In season four, in episode two, like right before the board meeting, um, they're still going to try to squeeze a little bit more money out. At first I was like, God, it's so petty. They're like, happens all the time. Happens all the time. At the last minute, they're like, no, actually I want a little bit more. It's so weird that it makes no difference. They've got so much money they can never spend it, and yet, yet the acquisition of more. I want a little bit more, yeah. Give me a little bit something else. And that's why it makes sense that the night before the board meeting, they're all like, let's do a side. Does Stewie think Kendall's a dick? I think Stewie thinks that Kendall's a friend, and I think Stewie feels that Kendall can sometimes not be great at business. But in the cool story moment, that says something about their friendship, doesn't it? Yeah, they think they, I think they have that testosterone relationship. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they're very like, fuck you, fuck you, no, you fuck you. You know, like, it's it's me making fun of his his business deal that makes Kendall cry. You know, makes him laugh and then cry. It's, again, not that many people can do that. Frank can do that sometimes. He wanted you sometimes. Is Stewie a very tender lover? <laughs> oh. Well, what does Sarah want? <laughs> she wants tender to know that he is takes this, his is time. This the, is, is, that, is this Sarah the character? Sarah the character wants to know that Stewie takes his time. All right. Even though he's a very busy Definitely businessman. Yeah, Definitely. He's been so generous with his time in this interview. He's oh, so thank generous. You. It really, you made our week by squeezing this in. Oh. So thank you so much. Hilarious. Arian Moyed. So funny. And he gave us far more time than we deserved. So we have a surplus of Arian. He was all bangers all the time. So what are we going to do about it? Going to give you a bonus episode. We need another fucking bonus episode. Arian had so much more to say about succession, about the nuts and bolts of how the show works, about his colleagues, and just about his life. He has had such an interesting career. He founded a non-profit when he arrived in New York City, aged, I think he said 21. Um, so we will put out an extra episode in a couple of days with the rest of that conversation. And that will be dropping into your feed sometime between now and Friday Sprinkles. Yes. We're trying to make sure that we do not overpromise is what's happening. Now, do we have your favourite expressions and turns of phrase from this week's episode? It doesn't roll off the tongue really, does it? Not like these lines are about to. <laughs> yes, I do. Would you like me to begin? Yes. Begin the begin. Is that a thing? It is a thing. Welcome additional manpower. They can fuck off until I need them. CE bros. Can we maybe not do the bad version? The condolence assistance. March of the Emperor Penguins. Let's bleed the Swede. We've been raised by wolves exposed to a pathogen by the name of Logan Roy. I just had to cancel on a room full of working class whites in Cleveland. I metabolize fast because I'm dynamic. When he's fucking randos, he does noise-canceling headphones. Podcast. He just lies back, cans on, watches him slide the beanpole. The baguette might be mightier than the bagel. <laughs> Hanging in the window like Peking duck. Do we say Peking? Peking. We say Beijing, but it's Peking duck. Like you don't say Mumbai mix. There are some bits of uh, colonial uh-huh, uh-huh. past which... Uh... Listen, don't involve me in your shit. <laughs> The majestic stags sparring with their memory foam hard-ons. It was a breathtaking spectacle. 
You inhuman fucking dog, man, you. You have an erection, Tom. It's weird. Send us your thoughts for Friday Sprinkles. Fuck off. At firecrotchandnormcore.com. Some potential questions raised by this week's episode. Do you think anything can go wrong by giving Connor carte blanche at a funeral parlor? <laughs> Uh, uh, does this mean Logan's going to be buried with a conhead badge? Um, what will turn out to be the bigger edit job? Calypsotron, the Waystar blockbuster that is in trouble, or me trying to edit the Aryan Moy edit view to tone down the amount of times that you objectify him? I don't feel good about it, but I couldn't help it. And will we find out if Roman's been shopping for cardigans, or has he been raiding his late father's wardrobe when Marsha's not looking? We're halfway through the series. I know. Only five episodes of Succession left. It feels to me like you just indirectly asked me for another song of mourning, like I sang for Logan, because we're at the halfway mark. The end is in sight. Once you hit halfway. So I just want to bring a song of mourning. Let me just wade in the water. That's all I know. All right, we'll see you for Friday Sprinkles, Arian Part 2, between now and then. And do you want to usher everybody out of the episode and into the sauna? Sauna, sauna, getting sweaty. Sauna, sauna, getting jiggy with it. Na, 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 na.